What is up and welcome into the Locked on Chargers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade, joined as always by my co-host, David Drogmeyer, and one of the founding members of the show today, John Kegley, on with us as well. And we have a lot to get into, but first, we are three writers who got our start at San Diego Sports Domination, San Diego's top sports blog, and we've been covering the Chargers now for over five seasons, doing our own Facebook live show, Chargers Domination Live, which airs weekly during the season. And now this is going on our third season as the host of the Locked on Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day. All right, guys. Well, we have a very fun show planned for you guys today. We weren't able to connect with the Locked on Dolphins podcast because it is going to be the AFC East crossover this week. So we weren't able to get with Kyle Krabs. So we're going to do kind of our own little mini Dolphins breakdown about all the things that happened in free agency. Talk about Tua and a few other things as well. But we're going to start with pro football focus, naming the Chargers the number one most likely team to Pick number one overall in the NFL draft in 2021. That was definitely surprising. So we're going to get into that for the news. And then we have a special interview at the end of the show that you guys are going to be very excited about because we have Toby Rowland, the voice of the Oklahoma Sooners, coming on the show today to talk all things Kenneth Murray. He gets into his leadership, the best attributes he has, and so much more at the end of the show. So you're definitely going to want to stick around for that. But let's go ahead and get into it. Pro Football Focus came out with a projection of where teams will pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, and the Los Angeles Chargers are up at the top. This is Daniel Wade, joined by David Drogmeyer with your Locked On Chargers lead story. Pro Football Focus came out with a list of the likely top picks in the 2021 NFL Draft, and the Los Angeles Chargers came in at number one. The Jaguars came in second, the Giants third, followed by the Bengals and the Dolphins to round out the top five. And I was definitely surprised by this. Obviously, the Chargers do not have Phillip Rivers anymore, and I think he was a player that kept them higher on lists such as these. And I think what they're seeing here is, hey, this team just lost Phillip Rivers, and they went 5-11 and with Phillip Rivers last season. I think a lot of this has to do with the quarterback situation for the Chargers right now. I think that this shows not a lot of faith in Tyrod Taylor, and I think it also shows that there's not a lot of faith in Justin Herbert if he were to come in at some point this season. So, David, I think when you're looking at how could they think the Chargers could have the worst record in the league in 2020, I think that has to be the main factor. Phillip Rivers was the quarterback of the Chargers for the better part of two decades, and he came with a lot of success, and you know now that's gone. So now that's all in the hands of Tyrod Taylor, and there's a lot of mixed opinions on Tyrod Taylor. He had a couple of good years in Buffalo, but his last stint as a starting quarterback for the Browns did not go so well, and he got benched rather quickly. So we don't know what we're going to get out of Tyrod Taylor. One thing that history does indicate is that Tyrod Taylor is going to take care of the football a whole lot better than Phillip Rivers has done in his career. That's something that could change things. And also, I don't think there's any situation where this team is going to pick first overall because of the quality of the players on their defense. I think there's too many stars there, and they're going to keep them in a lot of games. But another reason why I think they felt this way, Daniel, is because I know they hated the Chargers' 2020 draft. Yeah, and included in that draft, and another guy they were not very high on was Justin Herbert. And I think when you're looking at Tyrod Taylor's last season, having him be the bridge quarterback for Baker Mayfield and having Baker Mayfield come in as quickly as he did doesn't bode well as far as the last time we saw it. But I would say that it's hard to see them getting the number one overall pick because 
Tyrod Taylor as a starter in Buffalo over the three seasons he was the starter there never had a record worse than seven and eight. So I think that that's not going to get you the number one overall pick. And I think that's more indicative of his talents than his time in Cleveland. And I think this is a more talented roster than that one. But it does make me wonder what else are they doing? Because it's obviously not just the quarterback. It would be hard to say you're going to pick it just solely based on that because there's some big questions around the league at quarterback as well. So what do you think are the other reasons, David, that Pro Football Focus thinks they're going to pick this high next year? Well, I mean, obviously we mentioned the uncertainty at quarterback, but a quarterback can't perform well if they don't have a quality left tackle. And right now the Chargers do not have one. They have a couple of guys that they think could potentially play that position, but none of those guys have played very well in the NFL thus far. So that could definitely be another big reason, as well as on the defensive side, there's a lot of question marks about what they're going to do with certain players. They brought in Chris Harris Jr. from the Broncos, which is going to move Destin King around. They wanted to add in a couple of different wrinkles to the defense and switch things up, so that might change some roles for some players. So that could also add to the uncertainty about how they feel this team is going to do next year. And also, this team just has a history of not performing well in one-score games, so that probably could be factored in as well. And I think that also links it to coaching, because I think that if you have the worst record in the NFL and you have as many good players as the Chargers do. I think that's a serious indictment of your coaching staff. So I think what you're seeing here as well is just the fact that they don't trust this coaching staff to take the talented players on this roster and have a good record next season while trying to deal with the deficit they may be facing at quarterback. So I think there there's many factors that go into someone thinking the Chargers would be the number one overall pick. That would obviously be a disastrous season for many teams, but for a team like the Chargers who have players like Keenan Allen, Joey Bosa, Casey Hayward, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, there's so many good players on this team. It would be really surprising if Tyrod Taylor, who does take care of the football and is not going to lose you a ton of games, that they would end up with the worst record in the league. But we do have two more segments to get into. We're going to be getting into what the Dolphins did during this offseason period in free agency and in the draft and Tua and so much more coming up right after this. But first, I have to tell you guys about the best protein bar on the planet. And I'm talking about Built Bars, which are a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They have 16 amazing flavors and the bars are all 100% covered in chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, so you don't have to worry about the weird consistency of your protein bar. No chalkiness to it. Built Bars are built for health-conscious people while also tasting exceptionally good. One of the best flavors is the mint brownie flavor, and it's packed with 15 grams of protein, only 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. Right now, if you guys go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKDOWN, you can get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKDOWN, all caps, one word for $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. All right, guys. Well, it's time to get into our own version of the AFC East crossover, talking about the Miami Dolphins today. The Chargers will play the Miami Dolphins this year because they play the AFC East and the NFC South this year as far as their out-of-division opponents on the schedule. So the Dolphins had a very active offseason. They spent a ton in free agency. They took Tua Tangavailoa in the draft, so they think that they have found their starting quarterback. And there's just a lot to talk about. There's a lot to unpack here, but I think it starts with Tua. So, John, I know that it's obviously too hard to project what's going to happen with Tua at this point, but it did seem like there was a great chance that if 
the Dolphins had taken Justin Herbert, the Chargers would have taken Tua. So what do you think of the Dolphins taking that risk and spending the fifth overall pick on a guy like Tua who has all of the talent in the world but comes with that giant risk? I think this is basically the Dolphins either going to try to make jersey sales because it was tank for Tua the whole entire offseason. It was. Or they or they really actually think and all they of found last their season. guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, they probably really think that they found their guy. It's one of those two things, really. And if they really found their guy, then they're not showing that they're willing to make him the focal point and the guy that runs the offense. Because if you look at the running backs that they have, it looks like they want this to be a running team with Tua managing the offense rather than running it. They don't really have the greatest wide receivers on this team besides Devontae Parker. Other than that, you have like Albert Wilson, Preston Lewis, Ricardo Lewis, and Gary Jennings, Alan Hearns. I mean, none of these guys are guys that go, oh my God, they have a Julio Jones and a Calvin Ridley. No, they don't have any of that. So it's got to be ball control offense with Tua managing. That's I feel like that's what's going to happen his first year. Then after that, maybe it grows more and more as he develops. Yeah, and I'm sure Chan Gailey is, you know, trying to come up with a system that tries to accentuate his strengths. I mean, I think that's what you do when you draft a quarterback that high. I mean, that's what you at least hope that your team does is try to find things that they do well. But yes, I mean, adding two running backs in free agency, getting Jordan Howard, getting Matt Breida from the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, you don't do that unless you kind of want to change the way your running game has been. And it was very, very bad last season, David. So if they want to protect a young quarterback like Tua, and we don't know whether or not he's actually going to get to start right away, but I think that's a hugely important thing that they just weren't good at at all last year. Yeah, they did not help the quarterback at all last year with a running game. They were dead last in the league with 72.3 rushing yards per game they just did not do it well they didn't have anybody on the roster that ran for more than 300 yards all season long so that's definitely was a point of emphasis for the Dolphins they wanted to go pick, get Jordan Howard they like him a lot they obviously like you we mentioned Matt Breida but you know they need to be able to run the ball a lot more effectively to protect Tua we know that there's an injury risk and injury history there with him. So the best way to be able to protect a quarterback and also allow him to be effective with play action is to run the ball a lot more effectively. That will help balance their offense out and allow them to do more things and also protect Tua at the same time. Yeah, and protection is the biggest part. And I think that going back to the wide receivers really quick, Devontae Parker, I mean, has to show that he can do it, obviously, for more than one season. But he kind of exploded finally as a former first-round pick. Uh, you know, last year and actually had a really good season. I mean, most notably tearing up Stephon Gilmore, which is something that nobody would have expected going into it. And Preston Williams, an undrafted free agent, a guy that slipped through the cracks. I like his upside. I thought he did pretty well last season. I mean, especially transitioning to the NFL as a rookie. But those running backs are only going to do so much if they don't have somebody blocking for them. And I think that takes me to my next point, John, because one of the bigger moves that the Dolphins made in the draft was taking Austin Jackson with the 18th overall pick. Many people think that it is a a big stretch to take him there in the middle of the first round. Many people thought he could have gone later, but we did see a run on tackles and we see it every year. So I wouldn't say it was a surprise, but the one kind of key thing about this is the fact that the Dolphins actually had a left tackle in Laramie Tunsil that they traded to the Texans. They got a lot back in exchange for that, but I think that's the tough thing when you take an offensive tackle like that is it's like, 
well, is he going to match the left tackle that you gave away? So I think not only is there questions about, you know, taking him as highly as they did, but I mean, is he going to live up to the guy that you traded away? Because you kind of had that situation figured out from a former first round pick. Yeah, the trading Laramie Tunsil still bothers me, especially after seeing what they did free agency and the draft. They never especially really, especially when the Chargers don't have a left tackle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you basically did not fill up this offensive line with guaranteed this is going to work type of guys. You brought in a bunch of science experiments that you were going to hope work out because you brought in a lot of them. When you bring in a lot of them, one of them's bound to work. That seems like what the Dolphins are trying to go for here. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. That sounds awfully those... familiar. Oh, it does. Mm-hmm. This team that has lightning bolts as its a logo, I think, does that kind of thing. It it really really makes me wonder what they're trying to do here. Are they trying to rebuild, or are they just trying to take some shots in the dark? Like Austin Jackson, right. as you said, is a reach, and. If I'm not convinced really, really, he's a starting left tackle in the NFL. Yeah, I wasn't either. I got, at first, when I first went through the draft and I was scouting him, I was like, okay, this could be who we go for in the second round. Let's take a look at him. And then I'm looking and I'm like, yeah, I'd go maybe late third round with this guy. I don't think I'd go second round with him. And then the Dolphins go for him. And I'm like, you just got Tua, and now you're reaching for a tackle. You could have maybe traded your second round pick and gotten two more third round picks and gotten more value at offensive line in the third round than you did with Austin Jackson. There's so many other things they could have done. I'm really confused what they're doing offensive line-wise, and it doesn't look like they're going to have a strong offensive line just off of the roster. Well, I mean, if they do, it's because they're betting on some guys that maybe haven't performed as well in the past, and most notably Eric Flowers, who signed a three-year $30 million deal, almost identical to the one that Brian Bulaga signed. I mean, that was the deal of the season, right? Shaq Lawson, who signed with the Dolphins, also got the same exact deal, three years, $30 million. So that was the thing to do. But, I mean, that's a pretty big risk. I saw that on ESPN. They said that Eric Flowers had a 92% pass-blocking win rate at guard last year, even though he was drafted originally in the first round as a tackle. So you're betting on that, but you're also betting that he won't revert back to the form that you saw in every other one of his seasons. So that's a big risk. And Ted Karras from the New England Patriots, anytime you take a Patriot, you're kind of, you know, taking a big risk. Brian Flores was their former defensive coordinator. So they went out and signed three of those guys in free agency, three guys from the Patriots, because they also ended up getting a Landon Roberts, the linebacker, as well as Kyle Van Noy. And overall, David, I mean, they just spent a ton in free agency. So it's hard to think that at least this roster might not be tougher than it was last year, just because of all of the talent that they added. I mean, they had to spend a ton of it. And I don't know if it was all the most wise spending, but they definitely added a lot of talent to a very unproven roster in free agency. Well, yeah, I mean, I think here it's just like, hey, let's just grab as many guys as we we possibly can. And, and they had a lot of money to spend. They could really go out there and pretty much get anybody they wanted. They gave Byron Jones a lot of money. And now they have two corners that are making $75-plus million, Xavier Howard and now Byron Jones. So that is a lot of money to tie up in your cornerbacks. So hopefully that works out. And then, of course, they added so many players in the draft. But whenever you go 5-11, and 11, you need to add a whole lot more talent to be able to turn things around like they want to do. 
Right. I mean, obviously, a lot of changes had to be made, and they sent away a lot of veteran players for draft picks. So that's the thing is now they drafted a lot of offensive linemen in this draft, I and mean, they drafted a couple of edge rushers as well to go into a crowded room with the guys they just added in Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Ogba and Kyle Van Noy, too, because he rushes the passer as well. I like Kyle Van Noy as a player, just as a guy who played linebacker, a guy who does a lot of little things very well and is a very versatile player. I don't know if any of those guys in particular kind of changes the tide for them, but now you have to let those draft picks you have develop into something potentially, but it's all draft picks. So they're all shots in the dark. The Dolphins just get a lot more chances at it because they got so many damn draft picks. So I think, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what this team ends up turning into, but I I think there's still a lot of question marks. Like you said, John, it's a little bit confusing to see the direction they're trying to go, but I think it's pretty much a a big rebuild, but at the same time, you usually don't see those rebuilding teams, you know, spending so much in free agency, even though, I mean, the, the money has to go somewhere. So I liked some of the moves that they did in free agency. I liked some of the picks that they had in the draft, but at this point, it's just way too soon. I mean, there's no way we can think about matchups and things like that. But I think, I mean, John, even though it's hard to tell, do you think the Dolphins could be better than they were last season since the Chargers have to play them eventually? Well, they are 2-0 since they picked up former San Diego State linebacker Calvin Munson last year. That that could mean something. Look at that. uh, That's (laughs) hard-hitting analysis. But... (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's really tough to tell because of one thing, and that's chemistry. You might have picked up a bunch of guys, but are these guys that are going to gel? Are these guys that are right. really going to play together? Like when the Eagles made the dream team, they played like crap the whole year. They never really gelled really well. So I, it the could Browns be the same have won thing. free agency a lot of times. Exactly, and the Dolphins have done that as well plenty of times. I remember when they were taking a bunch of the guys from the Ravens after they won the Super Bowl. Joe Flacco and a lot of the defensive players like Ellerby were going to the Dolphins and the mm-hmm. Dolphins still played bad the next season. So I would say they're probably not going to be much better of a team. They might have a lot closer games than they had because mm-hmm. I think they're going to run the ball more, which means the other teams can't score as many times. So you won't see a 59 to 10 followed by a 31 to six like you did to start the season this past year. But as far as record wise, I don't think they're going to be much better of a team. And as far as, Efficiency-wise, I don't think they're going to be much better of a team. And just because they might not be a bad team does not mean that the Chargers should do much better against them, as we've learned in many of the years past. That's going to be a tough game for them. Still traveling to Miami, which is one of the statistically least likely places they are to ever get a win. So I'm very interested to see what this team does. Brian Flores, I mean, to start 0-7 like they did last year and end up with the same record as the Chargers, I think that's impressive to do with that collection of players. I mean, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, kind of going in and out with Joss Rosen, they just didn't have a lot of talent on that team last year. So now he gets to go out there and, and he gets his guys. He's taken some Patriots players. They spent a lot of money. He's getting guys that he thinks are going to fit his system on, you know, basically a complete roster overhaul. And I'm interested to see how it happens, you know, for a team that has played second fiddle to the rest of their division and the Patriots for a very, very long time, basically since Ronnie Brown in the Wildcat. And that was just for a blip on the radar. I'm definitely interested to see how it all plays out for them because of all of the moves that they have made. But that is going to wrap things up for this segment. We do have one more segment for you guys, and it's our big-time interview with special guest Toby Rowan, the voice of the Oklahoma Sooners, getting getting into all things Kenneth Murray, the Chargers' first-round linebacker, coming up right after this. 
All right, guys. Well, we are back here with the guest that we've been teasing to you guys all week. We are here with Toby Rowland, who is the voice of the Oklahoma Sooners. I'm super excited to have him on here. He's also the host of T-Row in the Morning on Sports Talk Network. So definitely a guy who's very linked in to the Oklahoma football program. So Toby, how's it going, man? Thanks for coming on the show. It's going great. It's uh, great to be on with you guys. How's California today? Hey, California would be a lot nicer, you know, if we were all able to just kind of get out there and really enjoy it. It's been beautiful out here. But so uh, before we kind of get into Kenneth Murray on the field, I'm sure that you have gotten to spend some time with him during his time in Norman. So what can you tell Chargers fans about Kenneth Murray as a person? I'll tell you, of everything that he has going for him, and and he's got a lot going for him. We're going to talk, I'm sure, about his skill set and everything. Uh, My favorite thing about Kenneth is what a great young man he is. Um first-class, high-character young man, as good of a young man as, as I have seen come through Oklahoma in my time here. Uh, he has dedicated a significant portion of his life to helping out with handicapped children, uh, both you know in his own family and, and also at the Oklahoma Children's Hospital here. He's a huge hit at the Oklahoma Children's Hospital, and a lot of them come to the games and cheer for him and um, as a leader on the field and in the locker room from day one when he sat on campus, it was evident that there was something different about this young man. So uh, that's one thing that Chargers fans don't have to worry about. You are getting a quality, quality individual in Kenneth Murray. Well, we know the Chargers definitely place a premium on high-value character guys, and it seems like that's exactly who they're getting in Kenneth Murray. The Sooners have a lot of very high draft picks, including consecutive number one overall picks in 18 and 19, but most of them were offensive players. What were your thoughts when a Sooner defender got picked in the first round for the first time since Gerald McCoy in 2010? Uh, It's about time was my thought. Uh, and a lot of Sooner fans too, you know, that's been the, if you follow college football, that's been the knock on Oklahoma for a few years is that they have dynamic offenses, uh, and can't stop anybody. And that started to turn around this year. Now you wouldn't know it by the peach bowl, but other than that, they brought in a new coordinator and Alex Grinch and, and Murray, Kenneth Murray K nine, as he's affectionately known around here, uh, was the central figure of that. So it was a relief um, that not only did Kenneth go in the first round, we had Neville Gallimore, a defensive tackle that was drafted by the Cowboys in the third round. And uh, Kenneth Murray, believe it or not, the first OU linebacker to go in the first round since Brian Bosworth back in the supplemental draft in the 80s. And that's amazing when you think of, you know, we had Teddy Lehman won a Butkus Award here, Rocky Kalmus, Torrance Marshall. Uh, there's been some great linebackers that go through OU, but he's the first first-round linebacker since the 80s. That is a pretty crazy style. I was looking back on it, and I was surprised there weren't more of them just because I know so many great players have come out of there. But you became the voice of the Sooners in 2011. In your time covering the team, where does Murray stack up against the best Oklahoma defenders that you've covered? Oh, that's a good question. Um, he's certainly right up there. You know, but they had Eric Stryker. Uh, was an outstanding player here. Uh, Obo Okoronkwo, who's now with the uh, L.A. Rams, was an outstanding player here. Both of those guys rush ins. I would say in my time, uh, the last decade, Murray is certainly the best linebacker that has played at Oklahoma. Um, He's a dominant 
middle of the field central figure on this defense and we haven't really had one of those in a long time i mean it's it's kind of hard not to notice him when he walks off the bus when he walks onto the field he just looks different he's cut different than everybody else he's a large imposing figure and he runs sideline to sideline so well um he's he's the alpha on that defense it has been for the last three years so uh, he's, he's definitely one of the best in my time. Yeah, I figured that would be the answer. I mean, he is just such a dynamic player. You covered Kenneth Murray for his entire career, and I watched a lot of the film and a lot of his games from when he was a freshman as well. But I just wanted to know what you kind of noticed from his growth from a standpoint of from his freshman year to when he declared for the draft. His freshman year, he was a physical specimen, but he didn't really know what he was doing yet. Um, right. He would be in the wrong gap. He'd overrun a play. Um, His speed was there. His size and strength was there immediately, but he didn't know the position yet. Uh, They were so enamored with his upside, though, that they threw him in there right away as a freshman, which is unheard of at a place like OU. But he Mm -hmm. was uh, a little lost his freshman year at times, and because of that, I think drew the ire of a lot of Sooner fans. They got down on him a little bit early in his career. Sophomore year, uh, significantly better. And then last year, I think it was a combination of his maturity. He, he understood the game better. And he had a new coaching staff come in on the defensive side of the ball. And he seemed to really mesh with not only Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator, but Brian Odom the linebackers coach, they developed a, a a tight bond and he had a sensational year last year. Um, You know, his speed is what just jumps off the page at you. I mean, at his size, the way he pursues is impressive. And early in his OU career, he would pursue and then the running back would make a cut and, and Kenneth would go flying by or he'd pick the wrong hole, or he'd misread something. But he's a cerebral player now, as well as his physical attributes, which I think made him shoot up the draft boards like he did. It seemed like it was Murray's sophomore year that people started to look at him as a top NFL prospect. But was there a moment when you realized this guy might be a future first-round pick? You know, he had a game against Army his sophomore year when I, I – Forgive me if the total's off. I think he finished with 24 or 28 tackles in a game. A ridiculous number. I mean, it was one of those record-setting nights. Uh, Now, Army is obviously a different style of offense, and it kind of fed into what he did. But he became a tackles eater. Uh, He was always at the ball. And for someone in my position, that jumps out because you're, you know, you're saying the name of who makes the tackle all the time. And I was constantly saying his name. It became more and more evident that he was showing up at the point of attack. I think the difference between that was, and this year was he was oftentimes making the play four or five yards downfield. He was making the tackle his sophomore year, but it might've been four or five yards downfield. He learned the art. My, my color analyst is, is Teddy Lehman, a Butkus and Bednarik award-winning linebacker. And he talked to Kenneth a lot, kind of mentored him a little bit. And the uh, concept and ability to drive ball carriers back, to not give up ground after the point of attack, became something that he became very good at. 
last year. And his tackle numbers were down a little bit, but there was a lot more tackles for loss, uh, no more yards after contact for running backs or wide receivers or quarterbacks. So he just became better. He became you know, more refined. His ability to read what was coming at him, to understand what an offense was trying to do, to make checks at the line of scrimmage, to get his defense and, and his defensive line in front of him into the right spots. Uh, you could just tell he was much more in command last year. When you talked about you know a lot of the things that he did well in his growth, but if there was one single thing that you had to kind of point out and say, this is one thing that he just does better than everything else, what would be that dynamic attribute? His greatest asset is his speed. For the mm-hmm. size he is, uh, his speed is remarkable. I mean, he's not a little guy, you know, 6'2", 240, whatever he showed up at um, in L.A., but he... Uh, he runs like a track athlete and his ability in pads to go laterally sideline to sideline and, and chase down running backs and chase down uh, jet sweeps is very impressive. I mean, you, you see, you know, fast little guys all the time in football, but a fast big man like that, that is as muscular and big as he is, is a sight to behold. He's like a racehorse out there. So, I think that's his greatest attribute. And you mentioned earlier about his leadership. I mean, that's one thing the general manager of the Chargers, Tom Pulesco, and the head coach, Anthony Lynn, raved about him. Does he just kind of have a presence about him with his leadership? Was there any a moment that you can kind of draw on that said, man, this guy's just a natural-born leader? Well, I think it was obvious when he, when he stepped on campus. I mean, I think it was obvious his freshman year. You don't, wow. You know, freshmen usually – take a back seat for a while till they learn the ropes. You know, they, mm-hmm. they uh, give way to upperclassmen um, until they earn their stripes. We were hearing about Kenneth in the spring before his freshman year and it's fall workouts about wait till you see this Murray kid. We hadn't seen him before. And uh, you know, everybody covering him was like, well, he's a freshman. I mean, he's probably, you get a lot of hype, but he's not going to play. And then there he is in the starting lineup. And he's, he's got a charisma to him. You know, he's got a personality and a charisma to him. Uh, see it in post-game interviews. You see it in post-practice interviews. It's obvious on the field when you see him directing traffic out there and in huddles, but uh, it's evidence to us and the media and the fans and the way he just presents himself. And um, he's classy. He's a, he's a classy young man. In defeat, he's classy. In victory, he handles himself as he should. So I think that's um, that's a real positive for him. It'll be interesting to see, you know, as a rookie in the NFL, whether he uh, kind of takes a backseat for a while or, or whether he charges to the front of the bus again and, and takes a leadership role. Yeah, and I think there's a big vacancy in leadership after the departure of Philip Rivers. But, Toby Rowland, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate all the insight you were able to get to us about Kenneth Murray. I know Chargers fans are really excited, and I think the Chargers really hit a home run with the pick. So, like I said, he is the voice of the Oklahoma Sooners. He's also the host of T-Row in the Morning. Where can everybody find your show, Toby? Um, the show is uh, streaming a sports talk network. Uh, it's on a network of stations out here, but you can find it if you search sports, not sports talk network in the, in the app store. And then, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at T row. OU. 
All right, well, that wraps things up for today's show. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Tomorrow, I will be doing a crossover with the Locked on Jets podcast. A lot to get into there, so make sure you tune in for that. But until next time, guys, make sure to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnLAC and to like the Facebook page Locked on Chargers, as well as subscribing to us wherever you get your podcast from. You can find the Locked on Chargers podcast there. If you guys want to get your voicemails on the show, make sure to call into 323 323- 524-7924 because we definitely want to get into some more voicemail soon, but we'll be back with you guys tomorrow as always. Until then, take it easy and go Bolts.